Well, good morning and Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here at Hill City, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here and uh, grateful to start to kick off the new year uh, here with you. Um, we are uh, starting a new series here today called uh, Embody. And uh, this, this series came uh, so about like a year ago, uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, so the way my brain works is interesting sometimes. And, and, and it floats in wonderland sometimes. And, and one day I was just like looking uh, around at people. I was like, it's crazy that we're humans. Like, it's just like wild. And so I was sitting next to someone who was actually, uh, um, we were at a restaurant and I was just kind of like looking around at the restaurant and it's like, it's just wild that we're all just created. And, and human, and, and, and the way our bodies work, it's, it's just phenomenal. And you think about, uh, like, the, the birth of a baby and, like, new life and all stuff. It's like, it's just crazy. And DNA and cells and all these different things. I'm like, it's crazy that we're alive and, and human. And, and it's just, I don't know. It's, like, hard to wrap your brain around for a second. I get it. Like, people are talking about aliens now all the time. But, like, I'm like, but humans are wild. And, and so, like, I mean, think about the person next to you right now. God crafted that person in a specific way and, and like is sitting next to you and it's, it's a human and, and in front of you is another human and behind you is another human and, and I just started thinking about, man, we don't actually think about our humanity enough and I don't think we uh, understand what it means to be human and, uh, and, and I think there's like an identity crisis that we're having, uh, not just throughout uh, culture in general, but even within the church of understanding like humanity, uh, I mean, look at the person next to you. Let me just look at them for a second. It's wild. It's wild. Like there's all these things happening in that person's body, and and uh, and, and it's just they're sitting next to you in this moment. It's just crazy. And I, I think sometimes we don't appreciate these things enough. Like we don't appreciate the beauty of these moments. And I get it. You might be sitting next to a stranger or someone you didn't want to sit next to. And you're like, man, this kind of sucks actually today. But like, uh, but like there's just a reality that like it's just unbelievable, like our, our humanity and that God created. And that here's what's interesting too is uh, we embody something in our lives. Uh, if you were here for Christmas Eve, I gave you a little taste of what the series is going to be like, and today's going to be like kind of part two to uh, what Christmas was. But but there's there's an identity crisis that's happening. There's this beauty of our creation, but there's a reality that we embody something in our lives. And even when we think about uh, the phrase embody, here's what it just simply means, and we'll go over this probably almost every week. But it simply means this: to embody something means to be an expression of are given a tangible or visible form to an idea, a quality, or a feeling. And so uh, here's what's just interesting. So every person in this room, no matter how old you are or how young you are, uh, you, the way you live your life reflects what you think it means to be human. Have you ever thought about that? Like the, the way that you live your life reflects what you believe means to be a human. And so when you pause and think about that, uh, again, you're getting a window into my brain here this morning, but when you pause and think about that for a second, it's pretty crazy to think, oh, the way I live my life is actually what I believe it means to be human. And so if you think about this, if you're like really greedy, let's say, oh, so I believe that to be human is to just take. Isn't that bizarre? 
And so you can kind of see, like, oh, this, this is pretty significant in what we do. And I get it. Like, New Year's is about goals and all that stuff. And those things are good. I mean, you'll be done with them in about three weeks. But there's, there's, uh, they're, they're all good. And kind of think about what the new year and, like, new year, new me and all that stuff. That's all good. I'm not. I'm not. But I was like, what if we spent the first couple of months or a few months leading up to Easter just learning the depth of our humanity? And what it means to, to really be human and, and to, to be better at being human, uh, but to understand the depth of our humanity. Uh, I was recently reading some research just around Gen Z and Gen Alpha and, and them talking about how there's uh, this huge struggle within the younger generation of figuring out their place. You know, every human being uh, on the face of this planet wants to feel like they belong, that they're accepted, and that they're known. And that's all of us. Uh, but in particular, in, in younger generations, uh, you know, it's funny, like, you know, for so long, it was like, oh, the millennials, the millennials in the church. Like, millennials are old now. Like, the, the, like you know, it's like, you just are. Like, you're, you're old. And, uh, and so, uh, the, I mean, the oldest millennial is 42 years old, right? Like, so you're not young anymore. And so, uh, so, so now, like, all this research is going into, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha and and it's fascinating because what you're seeing at some of the older Gen Z folks, and you're hearing some teenagers and, and college students in particular, they're, they're looking at the systems that um, all the grown-ups told them would work, and they're like, it doesn't work. They're looking at this, the, the, the things that grown-ups told them to focus on, and like, that doesn't work. Like, things are falling apart, and you're not happy, and you're seeing a therapist, and you're doing, like, so all the things that you said worked don't work. And so the younger generations are, are challenging a lot of the systems, and they're challenging a lot of the ideas. Um, now, they're challenging them in a lot of different ways that sometimes aren't healthy either, but, but there is a reality that at the, at the end of the day, they're trying to figure out, like, what does my life embody? What's the point of being human? What, what actually matters? And, you know, when we lose our sense of humanity and we have this uh, identity crisis, when, some of that comes from a lot of different areas, but you see throughout... Uh, as, as countries or cities or groupings of people, as they expand or as they get wealthier, as they get more power and they get more control throughout history, inevitably what happens is a, a lot of conflict, a lot of war, a lot of violence, and a lot of things start almost like, how many guys have seen The Hunger Games or read the books? Yeah, I mean, it's like you lose your humanity and all of a sudden we're like living in the capital. And you can see like a lot of this transpiring in our culture right now. And will we get as bad as the Hunger Games? I mean, I hope not. But there, there is like a level of an understanding of when we lose our sense of humanity, we're just trying to devour one another. And so what I want to do in heading into a year, which we know there's going to be war this year, there still is, and there's going to be more of it, and, and there's going to be the election stuff and, and all these different things. But I'm like, man, if we can, as a grouping of people here in Richmond and locally and see this, it's like, man, if we can just understand the depth of our humanity, things can really change. It can be so powerful of how you engage your own life. And like, if you have New Year's goals, like keep them, that's fine. But I guarantee you, if you understand the depth of your humanity, you'll be far better off than a simple goal. And so that's what we want to like dive into each week. And we're going to look at it from a lot of different angles. And, and it'll be very practical and helpful. But what I want to do today is, is really create kind of this uh, overview of our humanity and allow us to see it in a different way. I want you guys to actually participate uh, here for a second. Because, uh, so let me actually I'll put it up on the screen. You can go here to menti.com. And the first service, you'll see the code that's up there. And uh, you can just do this on your phones. And 
I want you guys to participate uh, because you'll see one question there uh, when you get over to the site, and then uh, we'll pull it up here in just a minute. But there are things with our humanity that make us feel alive, and you are doing something. So just try to keep it to like one word or two words. But uh, but but something happens in us, and we're like, whoa! I f- I feel alive. And sometimes that feeling alive is, is it's like a brief moment. It, it's a glimpse into something that's really good or really true, and you want more of it. Sometimes it's a, it makes me feel alive, but, but you realize, man, I wasn't really alive. It was actually just a moment of just, you know, filling a need that I had in my life that actually wasn't, like, super healthy. Uh, but I, I just wanted you to see what you guys are saying about this, that uh, Filipino food is great. Uh, <laughs> Listen, that's awesome. Like, whatever makes you feel like, like that is a part of this, right? So we've got laughter and emotion and being loved and walking and relationships and pain. That's a good one. Crying. Uh, Lacey's not here. I th- she would have put that. Um, acceptance. Uh, we've got motherhood and community and grief and empathy, fresh air, working out, adventure, uh, nature. Um, and you'll see, like, as the words get bigger and... Uh, in the connection, and you see these things that are getting bigger, it means more people are putting them in. And, and so you're, you're seeing like being present or worship or family time, um, going fast over the ocean, animals and pets, a good book, like all these different things, gratitude, um, our spouse, a giving, jasmine rice. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's great. Uh, traveling. I'm trying to see if I've, I've missed some here. Um, so you, oh, music, coffee. It's, you're probably addicted. That's re- the reality of that. Uh, but, you know, childbirth. So you, so you see all these different things. And these are all like such wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. But you see the two biggest words there in the middle are connection and love. And like that's not planned. Uh, uh, to, but that, like that's our humanity, right? Connection and, and love. And so whether that comes through friends or whatever. And, and it's part of our, our human experience experience. And what's fascinating is that you see all these things up here, and you have to start asking yourself, but do I live my life, does my life embody these things? Or do I say, do I say, oh, love is what makes me feel fully alive, but actually I don't go out of my way to love anyone. I'm struggling to be loved, a person who can be loved. You know, or connection, like connection, yes, yes, and yes. And it's almost humorous that connection is up there. Uh, it's like humorous and sad uh, because we live in the most, the loneliest time in the history of, of the world. And you see this deep, starving need for connection and what it means to be human. And so uh, what I want us to, to begin to, to discover, too, throughout all of this is an understanding of even culturally some things that come into play with our humanity because uh, there are worldviews. And so I want to give you four kind of biblical or four uh, worldviews that are out there. there. There are more than this, and you can get, I, I try to simplify it as much as possible because I just want you to get like an understanding of what uh, impacts our humanity. And so here are four um, different kinds of uh, worldviews that are out there around simply just being human, all right? Simply being human. Again, you can go into this in more detail, or you can split off of these things in different ways, but this is just a, a really simplistic way to view this. So you have a materialistic uh, mindset, which is only material exists. Um, everything is random. Uh, you, you hear this a lot with, like, atheism and agnosticism. Uh, there, there would be, there are, like, 
everything is about science, which is a good thing. All right, so even in each of these, there are some good things. Uh, science is wonderful. It discovers things and it makes sense of a lot of things and is always changing and evolving. But um, it's science heavy. Um, but part of what this materialism is, is, is this understanding of because everything is just random, we just consume everything. Like, there's, what's the point of loving or being generous or being kind or sacrificing? Because you're just here for my own good. And so you, we just consume everything. So if you're married in the room, it's like, what's the point of, of staying, like, faithful? Because if it's just to consume, then why even get married? We should just sleep around with as many people as we want to. Because guess what? We're here to consume everything. And so if it's just material, then that's one way to view things, right? And another way is spiritual, where everything is spiritual, and you really appreciate the spiritual realm of things, which is wonderful. Uh, you have a, a, a heightened understanding of the beauty of creation a lot of times when everything is spiritual. Part of the problem with with the spiritual side and everything being spiritual is, is you might associate like, oh, that rock is just as spiritual as a person, right? And so, um, and then you can uh, lack a grounding in what's actually happening. You can, when everything is spiritual, you can over-spiritualize things and not appreciate the physical body, okay? And so, uh, as an example, and so there's the spiritual, so there's some good about like, hey, things are spiritual and, and it's true, uh, but it's not a fullness of like our humanity and the appreciation of your physical body. Like you, you guys know your physical body matters. We'll talk about this in the series, but like your, your physical body matters and that's why we should take care of it. Not because you want to look good or um, just simply feel good, and those are good things to, to desire, um, to kind of feel to your fullest self, but your physical body matters because Jesus resurrected into a physical body. And so it, it matters. And so it's not just everything spiritual. It's like, oh no, there's a physical nature to this. Uh, there's a moralistic way to view things, which is moral codes, which are good, um, but it can lead into to legalism and create all kinds of tribes. Uh, for some people, not all, but in these moral codes, there's no ultimate truth because truth is whatever you want to to morally think that um, would, would necessitate your viewpoint. Um, acceptance is based on obedience. Uh, it's easy to sacrifice others in this way of thinking for your particular cause. So if you're your group, so you, the way you think is like, oh, everyone's got to think this way. This is like the moral code. And if you don't do that exact moral code, then it's easy to be like, mm, I'll sacrifice that grouping of people because I want my moral code to happen. So there's not actually a real love that's transpiring there. Uh, um, guess what? Um, both, if you kind of think of this culturally, both progressive folks and more conservative fundamentalist folks, they all have moral codes to be part of their group. Obedience is your acceptance uh, to the way. And yes, even within church, some of you guys were raised uh, in a very legalistic way of thinking of Jesus. How many of you guys, that's your story, part of your story, where it's very legalistic, and it was just like, just decide and just obey, and you're done. It's not how the Bible talks about our humanity. And then you have a, a biblical way of humanity. Humanity is the image of God. We'll talk about that, where we start seeing that within Scripture, material and spiritual and morality and creation and humanity are all joined and intertwined together as part of this story and pointing towards something bigger that creates an awe and wonder of your simple existence. The reason why I start off by saying, like, it's crazy that we're human and it's crazy that we're, you know, we're here and all this, is because I think a lot of times we get so concerned 
with what our bank account looks like or what we're doing at work or if we're going to get married or not, if we're going to have kids or if we're going to do this, that we have lost the wonder and awe of simply being human in the beauty of our humanity. And when we miss that, eventually we start putting that on other people. So if I don't appreciate the own wonder of my own humanity, why would I appreciate that about you? And if I don't appreciate about you, then guess what? Then I can view you as something that I can take, own, or abuse for my own liking. Ah, but when you live in a sense of wonder and awe of your own humanity and the fullness of your humanity, all of a sudden you start seeing people and yourself very differently. And that's the point. That's the point. And so um, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 uh, today. And um, before we get into it, I just want to give you a couple of nice to knows, which I like to do. So uh, this word image that you'll see in the scripture passage is significant. Uh, but it also was a, a word that was used for statues. And so what often happened in ancient cultures were if, uh, let's just say you were in a Babylonian empire time frame. Uh, if, if the king wasn't present in the place, like he lived somewhere else, but the Babylonians ruled the land, they would put a statue of the king as the image of who was in authority. So that's what the statue was there for. And so this is a significant part of just how ancient people like viewed a territory. So you'd come up, you'd come into a new land and be like, oh, there's a statue of this king. And like, he's in control, he's in authority. That's why it's so important, all right? So, so this idea of image was, was something that ancient belief systems had. And, and, uh, and they were always like creating these different statues uh, to, to signify something uh, of who was in control and who was in power. And then you have the statue of these gods. Uh, this, the gods that they would create, um, sometimes they were big, sometimes they were small. But they're always trying to figure out why, like, why did it rain? And they're like, oh, there must be a rain god. And so they would create a rain god, and then they would create a statue for that rain god. And then that statue, whether that was in the town square or maybe sometimes on a, a smaller scale in someone's home, uh, and if you had crops, you'd be like, I'm going to pray to the, la- the rain god. And in this statue, they believed there was something living about the statue. And so the, this, this, this statue was a living, breathing element to it. And so they believed they had all these gods everywhere. And so uh, ancient um, people, that, like, when this was written, they were taking all of this in. And, and it's important to know this stuff because when you read the Bible, it's not just speaking to us now. It was written within its context, which is important. So some of the language that's used and what they're referring to is speaking to what people believed back then. Uh, and then you have the Ten Commandments. And, um, and so these are the ten things that were kind of brought about later on in Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, where God gives these people kind of a moral code to, to live by and understand. And one of the things in there is that you should worship no other gods, you know, but Yahweh. And uh, one of them was also no graven images, right? So this idea, and the reason why they say that is not because uh, God was concerned that, man, if you put a statue up, you're just going to worship it. Um, he was like, you already are an image bearer of God. So you don't, there's no statues that need to, to happen. So in this room right now, we don't need statues of all of us because we already are uh, uh, image bearers of God. All right? So that's why um, those things about graven images are so important. So we have that on the front end. And so to engage the scripture uh, on a little bit deeper level, I just wanted you guys to have that. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. And this is this. Starting in verse uh, 20, it says, And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the, across the vault of the sky. So God created, this is important, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with, with water, teams and that moves about in it, according to their what? 
And every winged bird according to its what? Can you guys do that? Kind. That's how it works. And God saw that it was what? Okay. Perfect? No. Good. God blessed them and said, be what? And increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And so he's setting this way of being for um, the birds and, and the animals in the sea. And he says to be fruitful, like to, to, to continue to increase. Um, but what's the word that they're associated with? The birds were associated with their own what? Kind. Let's go to the next one. And there was evening and there was morning and then the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their what? The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its what? It's as if the writer is trying to say something. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their, mm, the livestock according to their, you're getting it. And all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their, and God saw that it was perfect. Then God said, let us make mankind in our what? All of a sudden, he doesn't use the same, make them in their kinds. In our image, he does something very significant here, and this is important. To animals, he says, just make them in their kind. But to humans, he says, no, they're associated with me. And so uh, there is a difference to to all my animal lovers out there. Love your animals. Wonderful. (laughs) It's great. This is not like a, this is not like a, you want to dress them up and take them to Lewis Ginter and see the lights like we did the other night? Sure, go ahead and do that. Um, they are not the same as humans. They're not. I don't know what happens when they die. I don't, is there a rainbow bridge? I don't know. I don't know any of those things, okay? I don't know what happens to your animals. They are not the same as humans. They're not. It literally says this right in Genesis chapter 1. So there's something different um, that happens. Isn't it also interesting that when societies get a little weird, and you think about even um, back in the day, uh, they would create all these gods, and they would be half, what, animal and half human. There's something that was happening that's like, oh, man, when you get off, it's like you start associating like, animals with humanity, and it's, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. He says, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He finishes, says, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Now, I want you to see a few things here in this passage because um, the entire biblical narrative is formed off of this. So this whole thing that we just read, uh, like Jesus is coming, that's really, really important, is the centering point. 
But the biblical narrative of our humanity like starts here. And, and the understanding. Now, whether you think this is literal or figure, whatever, I don't actually care. Uh, what, 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 the, what the writer of Genesis is doing is like, let me give you like a human framework of how this works and how, what humanity does and with the, the, the importance of humanity, what it's supposed to mean. And so even here, right off the top, we see like, what, is, what do we see in this creation story of, of what it means to be human? In Genesis chapter 2, if you were to read it, uh, there's a little different creation story than what we just read. It's a different angle and a different purpose of how it's written. And then in Genesis chapter 3, things get broken and, you know, sin comes along and everything else. So, but in in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we're getting in all of this is what it means to be human and the depth of our humanity. And and so what we start seeing here is, all right, so what what is it laying out for us? Well, the first thing is that, that humanity is supposed to be a bridge between heaven and earth. Did you wake up this morning and think to yourself, I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, God. We're actually going to sing about that in a second. Uh, Time for me to be a bridge between heaven and earth. Some of y'all woke up and be like, oh, I can't believe it's almost 9 o'clock and I can get to church and I don't even want to go. So it's like, no, actually when everything started, what we see in the garden is that God places these humans in the garden and there's this intimate relationship with them. And and what they're supposed to do is their interaction with the world and the earth that's given to them is supposed to be this bridge between heaven and earth. And so even some of the times you guys have ever heard the story about like the stairway to heaven with Jacob and stuff like that. It's like, what is he showing? It's like, oh no, there's this, there's supposed to be this connection with heaven and earth and humanity, the crown of creation, is supposed to be the one that shows that to one another. And so when you go to work tomorrow, guess what your job is? Not to achieve and to produce. You might think that it is, and then that's part of keeping your job. But actually, your main purpose at your job is to be a bridge between heaven and earth. How many of you guys thought about that ever? Well, I'm walking in here today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the fullness of my humanity. I'm going to be a bridge between heaven and earth this morning. But according to creation, like when we work and when we're in part, we embody the fullest of our humanity when we're, we're in this space. Um, the second thing is to rule and govern. To rule and govern. Uh, too often when you see the word rule and govern, you think it's about authority and control. That's not actually what the Bible is talking about. It's talking about the fruitfulness of things. The fruitfulness, like bringing fruitfulness to creation and bringing fruitfulness to uh, people around you and to begin to see it that way. Fruitfulness is not about production. It's not about consumption. It's, uh, it's not about maximizing profit. It, 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 not that, you know, it's like, it's understanding, it's, oh, what does it mean to be fruitful? Can you imagine if everyone who ran a company was like, hey, how can I make this fruitful for everybody? Can you imagine if we lived in a society, this would be the fullness of our humanity, that we lived in, in conceptually how we, uh, our economics work was, how can it be fruitful for everyone? Can, you, can anyone imagine that? But to be the fullness of our humanity, that is what we see is, oh, it's supposed to be fruitful. A lot of times we think, oh, fruitful is just having more babies. That's not all God is talking about here. It's about a fruitfulness to how we live 
And so there's a fruitfulness to when you go to work. So if you're um, uh, leading a grouping of people at work tomorrow, guess what? It's like, I'm going to be a bridge between heaven and earth. I want there to be a fruitfulness to how this comes. It starts changing the way we engage the world uh, around us. Uh, do you remember, uh, you guys remember COVID? That was a thing. And um, do you remember what happened in the environment? L.A. was like, oh my gosh, there's a sky. And, and like the smog was gone. And they're like, I can't believe this. And you know what it was? Creation was screaming back at humanity, stop abusing me. But see, when we treat creation as a, we just consume it, creation responds back. And so we see, oh, wait, hold on a second. There's, there's something bigger going on to our humanity. Um, even recently, I uh, was here in the office, and this is a couple weeks ago. And I was about to run back out to uh, the car, and I was stepping out the side door, and this ginormous fox was like four feet from me. And I was like, oh. and so I just paused for a second. But I was thinking to myself, why are you here? This is not your home. Like, I don't know, like, why are you in this? And I started thinking, man, has development, and I love development, like, has development hurt creation? And how so? And I know there are people who have jobs to, like, talk about this stuff and everything. But I'm like, but even, like, think about it. Oh, the fruitfulness of creation, even in the context of development, like, ends up mattering. And what happens? And so uh, this is part of what it means to rule and govern properly. Uh, harmony with one another is the third one that you see there. Genesis 1 does not say things were perfect, ever. And so even with this harmony, you start seeing like, oh, hold on a second. Things are very good, but there's this framework for humanity to engage one another. It's not about just us standing and shouting praise to God. That's not what it's about. But it's engaging this world, the fullness of the world, and this harmony with creation and one another is supposed to be there. And yeah, there's conflict and all that stuff too. That's a part of it. But there's this fullness that's supposed to be there uh, in front of us. And so there's supposed to be this harmony with people. So when we treat other people poorly and we gossip about them or lie about them or think they're the worst or we want to like, get rid of them or whatever, we want to kill them, it's like, no, no, that's not how this is supposed to work. So even think about this, when there's violence and war, and we're like, yeah. Say this, your side wins, whatever your side is in war. And then kind of just historically think about this. It's a weird thing because that's against creation and how God intended things to be. And so it's a weird thing to cheer on something that God has never desired for us. Again, understanding the depth in the fullness of our humanity. The reason why we cheer over those things, and, and I get it, um, because it's protection and there's evil, and, and I understand the dynamics, but I'm talking about just kind of a higher level here. We cheer those things because we've lost the wonder and awe of what it means to be human and for someone else to be equally human. The fourth thing there is the relational risk, relational risk. Um, have you ever thought, like, you looked around the world and you're like, why would God do this? How many of you guys have messed up the world in some kind of way? Yeah, like, why did God create you and me? That was a silly way to engage this, right? Well, then there's got to be a reason. And, you know, John talks about uh, that God is love. Well, to have love, you have relational risk. 
to have love, you have to be uh, willing to share power. And, and so that's part of what we see with God's interaction with humanity. It's the ultimate act uh, of love, and it's, it's risky. It's risky. When you think about any relationship you've ever been in, a, fr- a new friendship or a, a new relationship, and you had this moment where your heart flutters a little bit, right? And then you get into this space, and, 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 and you're thinking to yourself, man, in order for me to fully engage, there is a risk here. And then what happens is sometimes you get hurt in those relationships. And then you get a little more hesitant to take the risk. And then you, you do it again, and maybe you get hurt again. And then it's like, ah. And you're like, do I have to do this again? But that's part of discovering love relationally, whether it's in friendships or to try and find a spouse. It's like there is a risk that is involved in it. All this is set before us. Sin breaks this. And we understand this, that sin, Genesis chapter 3, it's like, hey, well, here's what humanity does. They have all of this presented before them, as we do now, and then we forfeit or make a trade. And we decide, hey, instead of living to the fullness of humanity, uh, I would just rather go this way. And we make a trade-off and we demean our own humanity. Instead of being generous, I'd rather be greedy and all of a sudden we demean humanity. And so we can see that, oh, here's what human humans do. And, and you've done it, and I've done it, and we'll continue to do it in some capacity. But our goal is to keep fighting for the fullness of our humanity. And when humanity forfeits things, that's where we get racism and sexism and violence and war and abuse and gossip and lying and gluttony and greed. We treat people as if they are just common rather than holy. All the things that are outside of what God has desired for humanity the fullness, the depth that we're supposed to discover. This happens culturally. Like, think about this. We make decisions not based on humanity. We make decisions based on um, a, a side of what we believe. And so take an issue like abortion, and you think about uh, the humanity in the situation. All of science points to uh, it being a human life in the womb. You can't get around that. And it's, and it's like, oh, if I, if I value and understand humanity, then I have to understand that in the womb is a human being. That's not common. There's a holiness to that moment. And and it's human. It's human. And so my response to the topic of abortion is based on the fullness of humanity in that human. And so then you get people on my back, you know, it's like, how dare you like kill a baby? And And it's like, and you focus just on this part. But then a lot of times it's like, all right, we've got that part. But then the mom is also a human. And there's a humanity of the mother. And you take a step back for a second, and it's like, hold on a second then. What does it mean to engage the depth of this conversation with a focus on humanity, in the fullness of humanity, not aside? Not because you just want to choose whatever way you want to choose. Not because um, you just think you just kind of barrow down on just one particular part of the conversation and then you dehumanize someone else who disagrees with you. You see, like even, and we can go topic to topic, and we probably will over the course of this series. So are we embracing the fullness of humanity in this discussion or are we just concentrating on humanity on one side and dehumanizing the other? becomes critical. So let's fast forward to Jesus and kind of bring this to a close. 
when Jesus comes along, as I said during the Christmas, that Jesus embodies the fullness of our humanity, what it's supposed to be like. We see in what he teaches, we see in how he lives, and we see how he responds to everything. It's the fullness of humanity. Um, Jesus in his humanity allows us to see what God is actually like. Jesus in his humanity allows us to see what the kingdom of God would look like if we lived it out in that way. And so Jesus teaches, and this is why it's so difficult and all that stuff. But we see it in Jesus. At one point, um, Jesus, as he's teaching around, if you kind of hit pause for a second, a lot of Jesus' teaching revolved around this, that we will image whatever we worship. You embody, and this is what I was saying earlier, your life reflects whatever you believe it means to be human. How you live your life, what you spend your time on, what you spend your emotion on, what you spend your money on, um, how you engage and see the world around you and how you see other humans, um, that is uh, a window into what you actually worship. And that is a daunting thing to wrestle with. There's not a person in this room who worships Jesus perfectly. Not one. And what we see that we get pulled in this direction and then that constantly, here's the thing that's like facing all of us every single day. And this is the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's, it's what are you going to choose? The fullness of your humanity? Or are you going to make a trade-off and dehumanize yourself or someone else? You're going to forfeit. It is a difficult thing to wrestle with, but to experience the fullness of humanity, we've, we've got to do it. To make, how many guys would like to make the world a better place? You never will. You never will until you really engage and we really engage together the fullness of our humanity to one another. Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples at one point, he comes up to them and a lot of people are saying some things about him. And he goes... He goes, hey, they're all saying all these different things. He's like, but, but what about you in this unbelievable question? Who do you say I am? This is the biggest question that we have to wrestle with as a human. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And he sets this up. And he teaches in a later passage. He says this. The band, you guys can come up. He says this. In John 10.10, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I, and this is Jesus talking, have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Look, what you say to this question right here determines which part of this verse you get here. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want experience the dehumanized version of life that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then worship whatever you want. Worship yourself, worship your money, worship sex, worship whatever, work. Feel free to do that if you just want to the dehumanized version of life that will steal and kill and destroy. But if you want the fullness of life, like understand like who I am and then he's like he gives this powerful other teachers says to come and follow me you won't do it perfectly 
but the fullness of your humanity lies on the other side of following Jesus. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your head for a second. first question I want you to wrestle with is simply who do you say Jesus is? Then I want you to ask yourself If I'm honest, if I'm honest with myself, what does my life actually reflect that I believe about being human? Will you guys stand and sing with us?